Amen. Get out your Bibles if you would. Open them up to the book of 1 John. If you are a second through fifth grader, then at this time you can make your way to the back. And Miss Natalie, no, Mr. Marcus. <laughs> Natalie looked at me like, not me, buddy. Uh, Mr. Marcus and Miss Crystal will... Yeah, you're already out the door. Okay, all right. First um, John chapter four, verse seven through twenty-one. If you have one of the Bibles you grab from the back, it's on page uh, ten twenty-three, one thousand and twenty-three, just to help you along the way. First John chapter four, verse seven. Would you stand to your feet as Jeannie reads God's word? Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this, the love of God, was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God is so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God... God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. May God bless the reading, reading of his word. word. Amen. Thank you. You beautiful woman. All right. Um, we're in this series called Measures. And as Sarah mentioned early on, this is the last of this six-week series. And these measures are a way that we determine, are we successful at accomplishing the mission God has given us? Oftentimes, churches will measure success, attendance, building, and cash. Now, you need all three at a church. But what we've said is we want to measure success with markers that point us to the person of Jesus, that make us look like Jesus. And so we came up with six of them to help us in the conversation. And the sixth one, the word loving, is so important. I want you to know that the world will see, experience, feel, understand Jesus by how our lives are lived. We cannot physically take someone to see Jesus. But
but someone can feel and experience and see Jesus as if they were literally before him, touching him, experiencing him as I am here with you. Physically, you see me. We can transport people 2,000 years to see Jesus by the way in which we live. First John is written by this name, the man by the name of John, and he has a lot of good things to say to a group of fledgling believers in this new church, and he's told them, he's going to tell them a lot about how they can know whether or not they are born of God, they're born again. And it's really a wonderful thing right from the beginning. He says these words in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and our fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. What, what John is saying here is, I'm about to tell you some things so that you become the kind of person, or no, I'm about to tell you some things that we saw and experienced so that you can see and experience God in the same way. He talks a lot here about love. Now this, I hope, compels you to think carefully about your own life. We can be intimidated by this idea of assessing our own lives. It seems a little unfriendly. And if, if you lack confidence, maybe, or, or, or maybe you're intimidated by the idea of assessment. But assessment is necessary. Any athlete that's any good will tell you that ongoing regular assessment of what it's going on with them physically is essential for them accomplishing what they want to accomplish. It's essential. I watched uh, the Baylor OU game last night. Anybody watch that? Stay up. That was way past my bedtime by the time it was over. It was a really incredible game. And uh, I grew up in Oklahoma and I live now in Texas. And so I do the reasonable thing. I root for whoever's winning. And, um, and of course, I'm a big Baylor fan, sick and bears. And uh, anybody here go to Baylor? If it was an A&M game, we'd have all kinds of like noises. But, uh, but anyway, uh, I know Kristen went to Baylor, but she's, she's downstairs. Um, but as I was watching this, uh, there are some plays, especially by the quarterback of Baylor, Griffin. That I'm like, this guy is an incredible athlete. He's an incredible athlete. And he can do things that, that not many people alive can do. It's just why he's getting lots of accolades. This is why Baylor beat Oklahoma, and he's a really phenomenal athlete. But I promise you, he did not become the kind of athlete he is without lots of assessment, lots of training, lots of figuring out what his weaknesses are, where he needs to work on, how he needs to work on those weaknesses. He, he, he went through lots of assessment. Assessment is absolutely necessary. Let me ask you this question. How are you at loving other believers? What, how are you at loving people? Are you a loving person. Now, talk is cheap, so you could say, well, yeah, sure, I love people. Yeah, I'm not mean to anybody, but no. How are you at loving other people? Your, the way in which you love will tell people 
uh, a little something, a whole lot about your relationship with God and whether or not you've experienced his love. Jeannie read this passage of scripture and the kind of the big idea of the passage is that the world will see our God and the way in which we love one another. And I want to be clear on something, although the, certainly the Bible does talk about loving your enemies and loving people outside the church. What John is actually talking about here is loving other believers in the context of the church, which makes sense for us. We have a confession. Our confession is that Jesus is Lord. But whether or not our, our hearts really deeply believe that Jesus is Lord will be proven by the way in which we love other people. This is fantastic. God is love and our love reveals God. Look there at verse 7. 1 John chapter 4. Anytime I see the word beloved, I, I like it because it's, it's kind of like a an older, uh, an older person in the faith speaking to a younger group of people in the faith. It's a term of endearment. Like it's as if John is calling this young church together, and he knows that they're going to be trying to do all that God wants them to do and experience all that God wants them to experience. But he's called them together in a really caring, nurturing kind of way. And he's about to talk to them about how they can reflect God's love. He says, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is really strong. I mean, he's being gentle, but it's really strong at the same time. He's saying, if you do not love, you are not born of God, you, you, you do not know God. Absence of love is evidence that a person has never been born again and does not have that close relationship with God Almighty. Now we know that God is love and it has to become more than words. And certainly when we think of God loving us, it was more than just words on a page to us. We know that God demonstrated his love for us by sending Jesus. Look at verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. In other words, God's love became more than words, became flesh and bones among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. God demonstrated his love for us by sending his only son. And he did not send Jesus because we first loved him. This is a remarkable part of the gospel, the good news of the Bible. God was not demonstrating his love for you because you were any good towards him. In fact, the Bible says everything you have done up to the point that by God's kindness he's led you to repentance and faith was evil towards God. There's no good in you. And in the midst of that, God loved you by providing a propitiation, which means atoning sacrifice. Someone to take the wrath of God for your sins. Someone to take your place in punishment. This is the example of God's love towards us. It's the ultimate demonstration of sacrifice as, a, as an example of love. Now, when we hear about love, what, what's a passage of Scripture that we most often think of? 
1 Corinthians 13, right? I've read it 489,000 times at weddings, and it's and it, there's just none better. Um, and 1 Corinthians 13 describes love in this way. Really beautiful definition. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hope all things, endures all things. Love never ends. This is a really incredible passage and one that gives some definition to the word that I've used many times, love. And John has said in 1 John that we're to love one another. But when we think about loving one another in that way, I really do believe that we think of it in this way. We ought to love one another because it feels really good to love another person and to have another person love us back, right? When you have a friend that has a friendship that's developed to a place that you say, you know, I love you and you love me. That feels good, right? Why does it feel good? Because you're accepted by them. You, you, you feel like you can be yourself around them. I mean, that's a really beautiful thing. I hope that that is stirred up in the midst of this little congregation is that there are loving relationships. I, I love to tell people I love them. And I think it's important. And, and God is... Um, I've been fortunate that I, there, there are people in my own life that love me. But one thing about it is that it just feels good. And, and that's okay. But many of us can fall short in our understanding of what the Bible teaches about love. Because the way we think about love is ultimately about us. Which is a problem. Because love, according to the Bible, between two people is not ultimately about us not about our feeling of acceptance, not about our joy, not about our satisfaction, not about our security. It's not ultimately about that. It's about something much greater. You see, the love shared between two believers is not just so you will feel good about your own life and feel good about having friends. It's about God's glory and what God is doing in the world. What's going on between you and I in this loving relationship isn't limited by what's just going on between you and I, but it connects to God's redemptive mission in the world, what God is doing in the world. So the way in which we love one another tells the world something about the way in which God loves the world. And here's why this is important to understand. It's because if all that our love is is something that provides acceptance and, and friendship and a good feeling, you know what? We'll tend to avoid working through difficult times in our love. We will. We love to be loved by people that are good at loving us. We love to love people that are easy to love. If we do not realize that the way in which I love other people in my church the way in which you love one another tells the world something about who God is and how God's love, then we'll stop when it gets difficult or we're disengaged. We only connect on our own terms in love. 
we, we stop and we fall short. And this is a thing that's true in marriage. And Sarah, Sarah just left to go to work, but it's Ty, Ty's right back there. And so, uh, Ty, how's it really going, man? Sarah left. And is it really going good? You and y'all been married. Um, Ty and Sarah, and there are many of us in here that are, are married. Some of you um, will be married, although you're not yet. And, and, and one thing you'll realize is that, and, is that your love for one another goes in seasons. It's strong in seasons and weak in seasons. This is just like a reality. And the reason that I stay with my wife um, is, is not just because I said some years ago, I love you, because that love, frankly, is really meaningless at this point. It, I mean, in the tough times, our, our love that's developed for one another has developed because I realize, we realize that the way in which we love one another tells the world about how God loves the unchurched and the unbelievers. This is what compels me in our love. This is what causes us to work through hard times. And in our world, if you're with a person, Kardashian, for a short period of time and you, and you don't really love them or they don't meet your immediate needs, why would you work on it? I mean, just find somebody else to love. No. Because the way in which we love one another, especially in the context of the church, says something to the world about how God's love. It's a part of God's redemptive mission. This should compel us to love one another. I have a responsibility to cultivate a love with every single one of you. Because it's important that our love is strong. Because the strength of our love reflects the strength of our God to the world. Love has the potential of transporting people that are outside our church 2,000 years to see and hear and feel and know Jesus as the greatest demonstration of God's love. The way in which people see us loving on Sarah and Matt during this hard time. The conversations that the nurses overhear, the prayers that they observe. The effort that people know it takes to reach out to them during this time of trial says something to the world about our God. I would never in a million years say that, that it's a good thing that Matt got injured. But I, I tell you this, one thing they know for sure is that God can use this to tell the world something about the way in which God works in the world. God works in the world through believers loving one another in a way that reflects the love of God through Jesus Christ on the cross. Do you, do you hear that? No one has ever seen, he says in verse 12, though no one has seen, which the Greek word there is beheld God. Believers who abide in him, verse 13, have seen. So no one has seen, beheld, but we, through love and abiding in him, have seen, behold. We haven't beheld, but we get to behold the Son as he is manifested among loving Christians. The very real presence of Christ is in our midst as we love one another. 
And this real presence of Christ that's in our midst as we love one another testifies to the fundamental truth of the gospel. It tells people that the gospel is real. So real that it can cause a group of people to love one another sacrificially. So the question that comes to mind is how do we love in this way? Well, he tells us right there in verse 15. Verse 15. He tells us how to love. Look in verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. There's just three little things. How do we love in this way? We have to confess that Jesus is the Son of God. We have to confess that in our hearts. So the prerequisite to us being able to love one another in the way that God loved us in Christ is to confess that Jesus is the Son of God, believing that what's happened prior to you even being able to confess it is that God loves you enough to provide an atoning sacrifice, a propitiation for your sins. 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. So before you can love another person, you have to confess and receive God's love. And the, the good news of the gospel is that it's freely given to all people. The second thing you must do is you must believe that God abides in you. You must believe in your, in, in your as much as you can grasp it intellectually, that God abides in you. There's a part of God in you once you've confessed Jesus as God. You must believe that. What you have is special. God abides in you. He dwells in you. He's plugged into you. You're plugged into Him. First, first third thing there. We must abide in Him. Abiding in God, it's really a mysterious kind of idea. We see it also in John 15, but it, this idea of abiding in God, and it means getting synced up with God, staying synced up with God or plugged into God. Every one of these cords is plugged into something and there's, there's electricity of running through them. And if they weren't plugged into that power source, there would be no electricity, it'd be worthless. And what John is saying here is that for you to be able to uh, be loving, to give off love, you're going to have to be plugged into God. You're going to have to abide. So confess that Jesus is God. You must believe that God abides in you and you must abide in him. And as we abide, three things will happen. This is a really rich passage starting in verse 17. Three things will happen as we abide. His love will be perfected in us. None of us is perfect at loving. I told Ty and Sarah this, and I've told several other couples in here that I think I've married a few others. Megan and Reuben, I had an opportunity to marry them. And there's a few others. And every couple that I marry, I say this, the love that you have right now, now for one another is not enough. Your love must be perfected. It must grow. What makes a strong marriage has more to do with what happens after you get married than what happens prior to when you get married. Your love, it, it, it needs to be perfected. It needs to grow. Well, how does that start? You must stay connected to God. If you get disconnected from God, you are sunk. You're in big trouble. But over time, what happens is, is once we've confessed that Jesus is Lord, believing that God demonstrated his love for us by sending Jesus to die for our sins, to take the wrath for our sins, we believe that God abides in us so we stay connected in him. What happens is our love is perfected. Our love grows. You ought to be more loving today than you were a year ago. Our love should grow. 
should, should pour out. And also in verse 17, we can have confidence for the day of judgment to come. That's what he says. In other words, we realize that, that, that the opportunity to love one another is not going to last forever. There will be a day when God says, okay, this is it. All those that are going to be saved have been saved. It's time to initiate the final chapter of salvation history. And all that is uh, deserving of my wrath is going to receive it. All that deserves, um, or all that is righteous is going to receive the inheritance. And so as we're loving and growing in our love, we can have confidence that that day is going to come. And we don't need to fear it. It's really interesting that this whole conversation about love, he ties it here to God's redemptive mission. I've already said that. This is what he does. He takes it and goes, when we talk about you loving other people, what we're talking about connects to what God is doing in the world. It matters in the world. Verse 19 starts really beautiful summary. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. In this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. How are you doing at loving other people in the church? How are you doing? There are a number of guests here, and I know nothing about you. I would, if I had an opportunity to talk to you one on one, I'd be really listen carefully to your story and your faith or lack of faith, kind of history and story. I'd, I'd ask you if you'd heard the gospel, the good news that God demonstrated his love for you by sending Jesus to die for your sins, and have you confessed Jesus as God? Some of you have done that, but you've disconnected from the church and maybe you're just getting back into the church, which is one reason we started this for people just like you. And what you might be hesitant to do is engage a group of Christians for fear that you'd be treating, treated in an unloving way, maybe like you've been before. I want you to know here at Neartown Church, one way in which we measure success is whether or not our mission partners or our members are loving one another. This is a loving place. We want it to be a loving place. We value deeply everyday connections. And we believe that if our people are growing, they're going to be growing in love. How are you loving? You know, at the end of a talk like this, I begin to think to myself, okay, what is, okay, we get it. Like we get the ideas, but how does this flesh out to Monday? I mean, so what, right? Like, how do we set this thing in motion? There's a couple of things I thought of. First of all, you must, to cultivate loving relationships with other believers in the context of the church, you must show up in those relationships as often as possible. The reality is, if I don't spend time with my wife, regular, systematic time with my wife, then our love will not grow because we've just not spent time together. For you to have your love for other people in this congregation growing, you must show up. You must show up every single Sunday. You must show up to your NT group. You must show up over a cup of coffee, 
you, you must you must pick up the phone and make phone calls. You must return messages, return emails. You know what I'm saying? You must engage. A problem that exists today in this idea of loving other people in the context of the church is we kind of choose when to love and when not to love. When it's convenient for us to show up to love someone, we do it. But when it's not, we don't. But what I'm saying to you is that a very practical application to whether or not you're loving is to show up regularly. Show up. And then listen. Listen to them. Get to know them. Spend time with them. Don't be all about your next idea, the what the next thing is you have to say. To cultivate loving relationships in the context of the church, we must be willing to listen to one another. We must sit down together. We must take the time to be together. I hope that you know that I love you. And I know many of you, at least something significant about your lives. But I look forward to getting to know you more and cultivating that love relationship. But I would also encourage you to connect with one another. If you're here and you're a guest, I want you to know that this would be a great place to connect. And you know what? It's new for all of us. This church really started at the end of March. And we have about, you know, on average, 100 or so people. We've got a whole slew of kids downstairs and, and some adults down there. And so we're not a gigantic mass of humanity. It'd be a great time to get connected and to get to experience some of the love that God offers. And that is really the fuel for God's mission in the world.